0: There's something to be said about being consistent and trying to be consistent. But if it's consistently not working, I do think at some point we have to make a change. Welcome back. Another episode here. Um for the podcast. It's been a little bit since I had time to record, so I apologize for that. Ben and the guys have been doing a good job of um finding stuff that we've already recorded in the past that have not been podcasts before. So I appreciate their help with that. Um schedule is just tough and I think a lot of people can relate to that. So um I've got I, I've fallen behind with um eh, quite a few things. Which which is okay because um I think it's very very realistic and I've I we the guys and I have talked a little bit about some of the stuff um and how do we get back caught back up and how do we um keep things moving uh with certain projects and again it's just that is life. So I, I the dog part of it for me is interesting because when I look at some of the progress uh, a lot of our projects are connected to dogs obviously. So at times I think about that and I go, well, how is this impacting, um, the dog as far as its progress and training? And I, I, in those moments are when I go, well, I should, I should probably talk about that and I should probably mention that or make a post about that on one of the social platforms because, and that's what we're doing right here, but the, it doesn't hurt them that bad. I don't think, in fact, I think it's sometimes better. Um, I know it sounds strange cause I, I do think, there's you can't do it to an extreme one way or the other i i talk about extremes a lot i talk about the importance of trying not to be extreme one way or the other in a lot of things that you do in life dogs in particular balance is very important figuring out how to get in the middle is very important um figuring out and, and that's like an ultimate goal and I don't know that we ever get truly in the center and we truly get the, that balance, that perfect balance that we're looking for. But it's certainly something we strive for. I think it's always adjusting. It's always constantly, you know, something is weak. So we work on something else to strengthen it. And then something else becomes a little weak. So we work on something else to strengthen it. And it is this bit of a, of a balancing act going back and forth. So I think that... I've got two young dogs, my older dogs. Um, you know, do I need a lot of work in my older dogs? Probably not. Could they all be, um, when I say older dogs, I'm talking Taylor, Ellie, Spry. Do they need work? Yeah. Um, for sure. Do they need to be sharpened? Could they be sharpened for sure? Could they be, you know, transformed significantly? I don't know if, I don't know. Maybe, um, if I decided to go a different direction with my ultimate goals with those dogs, I suppose it could happen at ages five, seven and nine, I guess is what they're coming up on. Um, but I, I don't, um, I don't have that desire now. I do think that, you know, Ellie just had puppies, so she's physically not in that good of shape. Um, it not because of the puppies so much, but, uh, we and folks that came to our workshop know this story. Um, for about a week I didn't pay very close attention um and all of a sudden Blue's puppy food bag was um not in our cupboard and I didn't really I just don't know how it slipped me but I one day I looked at Ellie and I went man she just looks really big and out of shape and I didn't think anything of it and then a couple days later I recognized boy the Blue's puppy food is we're really going through it quickly well here, Ellie was helping herself to a bag of puppy food for about a week and it put a lot of weight on her and she, it happened pretty quickly and I didn't realize it, how quickly it happened. Um, and I've been fighting with it to, to kind of get her back into a little bit better shape. Um, we, I, I'm not concerned about it. I mean, that's, it, it's kind of funny. It was kind of funny at the time, um, but... I got to get her back in shape. So yeah, there's there are things that I can and should be doing with my with my older dogs as well, um, but the young ones, Blue in particular, who's I think he's coming up about uh, maybe coming up on five months. Um, he's getting close to probably twenty weeks old. Uh, Makina is coming up on eight months. Um, I've been really, really. Um, I, won't, I don't. I don't want to say hot and cold. But we've gone on really good streaks of progress. We've made some really good progress in in their training. And then, and and we've stayed at it. I mean, I've been probably pretty, um, very consistent with their training. Uh, Makina, especially from an exercise standpoint. And whenever I exercise her, I'm trying not to do mindless energy burn-offs. I'm trying to like gain something from it, both mentally and physically. Um, but she definitely needs the physical release more than Blue does. Blue's really chill, and he's really relaxed, and he's just a, he's just a fantastic little dog. Um, so, but, so they have different needs when it comes to that exercise. But I probably have been pressing a little bit um, at times with them. I, am going to a field trial this weekend with my son. I went to a grouse field trial. I don't think I even talked about it yet, but I really, really am excited to talk about that. Um, I've got a friend of mine that is involved heavily. He's the president of the Minnesota Grouse Dog Association. I plan on doing a call, uh, doing a call with him. I'd like to pick his brain a little bit more. Um, Jerry Coulter, who is the breeder of, of Makina. Um, I was out, I trained with him about a week and a half ago. Another episode in itself right there um i want to talk with him a little bit more i did talk with him a little bit more and i want to share some of that with you guys but this whole grouse dog trial thing is is real interesting to me um i at there at jerry's recommendation i read a book um i think it's by william f brown um field trial standards and practices and management um it, it's an old book written in the 40s um I think Jerry described it as the Bible as it pertains to field trials, the way it was meant to be. And I thought he put that really well. Um, it was a really interesting book. The history behind the, the field trial system with bird dogs is very interesting to me. Um, I'm going to a field trial this weekend, my son and I, Father's Day coming up, we're going to, a, um, we're going to do some camping, some fishing, some golfing and a field trial. So uh, real excited about that. It's over in Minnesota. But I, I wanted, I want, I'm, I'm seriously thinking about running my little dog in, in a grouse trial. And, um, I put a little bit of pressure on myself because of a date that a event was coming up. And I, um, with the help of some friends and then some, some, probably some time where I just had to think about it myself and was able to think about it, I recognized and realized you're doing the same thing that so many people reach out to you on. Like I'm talking to myself at that point. I'm going, you're, you're changing the way you're doing things with the, for the reason of you'd like to run in a trial that's set at a certain date. My dog's just not ready for it. And I knew that, but I, I just couldn't convince myself of it. I couldn't believe myself to do it. So so I was like, I was probably putting some undue stress on her and myself with the idea of, boy, I'd really like to make her mature quicker. I'd really like her to grow up faster. Well, that doesn't work. And so taking that pressure off and realizing I'm just not gonna do it um, is what I, what I, what I probably, and, and I'm not saying that I wasn't worth thinking about, like think about it, but then realize when, it, when it's not something that's realistic, let that, I had to let it go. And so I get, I've, I've answered that question for a lot of people. This whole process of training Makina has opened my eyes to, um, be a little bit more empathetic to those that are training their dogs retriever wise and don't have a lot of experience with it because some of the questions that I, I, I just understand the questions a lot better. Um, a lot deeper, a lot more, because it's, now it's become kind of personal. It's, it's something that I'm having some questions that are very similar. Um, so it's, it's good. It's a good thing for me in general um, to realize and recognize that stuff. Um, I'm going to get into this question. This is a question that came, so it was a phone call today. Uh, it's going to be a combination of a phone call and email that I'm trying to get back on here that I'm going, I'm digging back into some emails. I've got a lot of Instagram messages to follow back up on. Um, so if you're, if you are sending those, I really appreciate your patience with it. I will, I'm going to work through getting them. I just got to set a few hours aside, um, to dig into Instagram and face a few hours, probably to get caught up in Facebook, a lot of hours probably to do the email stuff, but we're working through it. Um, this is a, uh, the same Coincidentally, as I'm going through and catching up on some emails, it's a very similar question to a phone call I took today. I had a guy call me and and he, his situation was he had a one-year-old GSP, uh, was going through tie out with the dog and was really struggling and very getting, getting quite frustrated actually with the regression that he thought he was seeing in the idea that when his kids would go out and play in the yard, the dog wouldn't be quiet. It would bark on the tie out. Um, He said that it was better. Um, It it wasn't very good to start out with with the tie-out. Barked for a long time. Finally, it started to settle down by itself. Now he's added in some things where his kids go out and play, and the dog wants to play too, and is barking. And he's frustrated because it seems like they're going backwards. And um, come to find out, you know, it's been about five months that they've been doing this. The dog's about a year old. So by my math, he started doing it maybe around seven months old. Um, so he's telling me this and his frustration is very clear. Um, he's not sure what to do. He's, you know, wondering what, what is it? One of the things he wanted to know is, is it a breed thing? Um, he said, you know, I I watch your videos and your, your dogs settle to it so quickly. And I told him in on the phone, I said, you know, blue I've tied out twice and he lays down and goes to sleep. Blue is just, and blue's you know, going to be five months old. And, um, he's just real patient little dog and, very nice and so I told him that and he goes yeah I know and that's so is it a breed thing is it because it's a GSP And I said yeah, maybe <laughs> you know and jokingly uh, so don't be offended if you got the GSPs. I followed it up very quickly with I've got a setter right now that's going on eight months old. I started tying her out recently as well. Um, I think we're probably the longest it's been is four hours three three to four hours, close to four hours. Uh, The shortest it's been is probably a half hour. Um, Admittedly, not super consistent with this process. I have not been. Um, She doesn't dig, which is a really, really nice thing. She doesn't dig at all. She doesn't wreck the yard. I've got a nice shaded spot that I tie her out on about a four foot cable, but she barks and whines and cries constantly. I've never had her settle in. She's never stopped. I've never been able to have her be quiet and go get her. She's never worn herself out to the point where she laid down and fell asleep. So I told him that, and he goes, "Well, you don't. Why don't you tell other people that?" I said, well, "I, I, there's a lot of things I'm not able to share, uh, in everyday life." And I thought, well, I'll share it in a podcast, I guess. It's something that I'm working with on her, with her. So I, I have not. It's probably one of the chinks in her armor uh, that I've run into. Now I asked him. I also asked him. I thought it was an important thing. I said, "Well, why do you want to do it?" what's your reasoning for doing it? Because I had to think to myself, what's my reasoning? I can put her on place and she's quiet. Um, she's been on place most of the day here. It's super hot today. It's the first real warm day. It's in the nineties and it's super humid. So I'm not tying her up today. I just don't, it's not really that safe. So I asked this guy, I said, what's your objective? What's your goal? What is the reason you're doing it? And he said, well, that's a good question. Uh, I guess I want just them to be quiet because I said there's there's a couple of reasons why I tie dogs out one of them is that idea of them starting to understand or learning the idea that pressure to the neck is uncomfortable and the best way to turn it off is not to pull I think that's a valuable thing for the dog to understand prior to heel work so I Makina heels really well I didn't need to tie her out to get her to heal well blue tie heels really well I don't need to tie him out I do want a dog that I so when I was at the field trial in Minnesota I went to this grouse, grouse trial in the spring and I saw a guy you know guys have dog boxes and all sorts of different ways of getting their dogs around I saw a guy take his dog out and stake him in the ditch um, you know it's just a, a county road or a gravel road back into some county land so it's not like it's a lot of traffic or anything He, he had tie outs and he staked his dogs out in the ditch next to the truck and he left them and they were quiet and they laid down and they, you know, got some fresh air and it was, looked very nice. looked real comfortable. I thought, man, I want to be able to do that with my dogs too. And I came home and said, I should tie her out and see how she does because boy, those two setters looked really nice on tie out. They behaved really well and I liked that. So that was my reason of why I would like to be able to do it. So I tied her out going, well, they did it. I'm sure she'll do it. And it was not. She, she almost becomes frantic on tie out. like she starts to bark and whine and uh, I won't call it a howl but it's it's pretty annoying and so uh, she's relentless now I have had dogs I've had labs that do the same thing blue doesn't and that's real desirable real nice um, is it genetics I'm sure it has something to do with it is it something that I won't be able to do with Makina, I doubt it. I, I think I'll have to be more consistent. I'll have, to, I'll have to face it. It's not comfortable. It's frustrating to sit in this house and listen to the dog bark. I don't have neighbors. He did. That guy had neighbors. He's like, I can't let the dog bark all the time. Well, then you're not going to be able to do it there, but you're going to have to figure out a spot where you let that dog understand that he's going to bark, he's going to bark, he's going to bark until he gives in. And that, you have to get there. And there's no way to speed it up. So I, one of the things I said, the first thing I said to this guy that was on the phone was be patient. And he said, yeah, but your dog's already a year old. and I've been doing this for five months. I said, it's not long enough. So I, I think that sometimes we have an idea of what patience is in our head or what's long enough in our head. And we don't realize that the dog doesn't necessarily agree with us. And guess who wins? It's not us. It's the dog. The dog is the one that is the most important part of the equation when it comes to realizing when and when it's time to do something so you're gonna have to be okay with the idea of you're just gonna have to do it more often more lo- and longer and whatever now I said you're way a-. so once I told him you're way ahead of me I said your dog at least is quiet by himself I can't even get my dog to do that instantly he felt a lot better about his situation I know he did he told me I said but you're, you're, you know, you I said, you know, I can give you some specifics to this situation or they can be super generalized and used and applied towards all things dog training. You're taking two biggest steps is what you did. You need to take baby steps. He got, you finally got the dog to settle down by itself. And then you brought your couple kids out in the yard to play ball or whatever they're doing. And I go, that's too big of a step. Dog told you the dog's behavior told you. So I said, I look at that and i go okay now you need to break it down into simpler things so put the dog on tie out let it be quiet make sure that that's good 100% bulletproof can't be wrong can't it's not it's not 50% of the time it's not 80% of the time it's 100% of the time when you take the dog out you put him on place he's quiet then next step it's not take the kids out and play in the yard next step might be go out yourself into the yard turn around and go back in the house and see if that triggers the dog to flip out. And if the dog flips out, you go, well, there's the, there's the point. There's the part that we can't, that's too much distraction. So we need to be, you need to take a step back or you need to do it again and again and again, but no more distraction, just that level or less until the dog can handle it and then a little bit more and then a little bit more until it becomes the majority of the time. And then it's all the time. And so it's this scale thing and the frustration point was, well, I've been doing it for five months and we just regressed. Yeah, well, the dog's a year old. So you haven't even been doing it half the dog's life. have been doing it less than half the dog's life. And it hasn't been perfect the whole time. I can't be, I know it's not, it didn't, it wasn't perfect for five months. So if you look at the ratio of time that the dog's been doing, whatever it is you're asking them to do, and you expect it to just stick and be good, that's unrealistic. So when in that guy's case, it's, patient, take steps back and just maybe take smaller steps. Now I'm going to read this question here is from a guy, Morgan, It might be a girl, I guess, but it's from a Morgan. It says, I recently got a black lab hound mix pup, fancy. She's about seven months old. Been working through the foundational video guide of yours and working on getting her to sit, Get working to get her set up to be a tracking dog. During the drive out pr- and I think he meant tie out, but during the drive out process, tie out process, she showed a lot of determination for five hours, barked and pulled, never settled in. In that situation, would you let her continue or would you change something up? She's known to bark when she when we kennel her and we leave, but doesn't bark in the kennel when we're home or in any other situation. We did deal with some separation anxiety in the beginning, but I think we've worked through that. So let's break that down. It's a very similar sounding situation to what I have with Makina. Same age, sounds like the same uh, commitment to not wanting to be on that tie out. So what I just explained I have to do, Morgan, is what I think you have to do. Be patient and do more of it. And You know, I I don't know how often your frequency of this tie-out is. I can tell you right now, I think part of my problem is I haven't been consistent enough. I haven't been consistent enough because it's just not enjoyable for me. So I'm putting my hand up. It's my fault. I have not attacked it with the same energy that I attacked bringing out natural retrieve in her. Guess what is more fun for me? It's a lot more fun for me to sit in this kitchen and make little puppy retrieves with her and find success in a matter relatively short period of time and then build off of that and then build off of that. And next thing you know, we're, we're having a that's easy to do. I put off tie out primarily because of the time of the year, it was just too cold. Finally, we, I saw the guy that was doing it at the field trial. So I said, well, I'll do that. And my dog was about probably five months old at the time and I went, So she's going to be eight months old now. So it hasn't been that long. And I've probably only tied her out a half dozen times. So when you really think about the short amount of time and the infrequency that I've done it once or twice a week tops, it's not a lot when it comes to the idea of changing a behavior. And we've never actually gotten to the point where the behavior changed. So I do think that I don't correct her. I don't put pressure on her. I don't try to turn her off of the idea. I'm trying to let her figure it out. Trying to let her figure out that it's not that bad. And so what I'm probably waiting for it, what I'm probably waiting to happen is her to get tired of barking and shut up. Finally settle in and be quiet. And then I'll, and I've, I've been threatened with that a few times. She has done that to me. I've There have been moments where I stood up and I snuck over the door to watch out the backyard to see, God, just be laying down. Please be laying down. She doesn't lay down, but very often. But I was just hoping she'd be, decide to throw in the white, you know, throw up, throw up the white flag, throw in the towel, lay down and quit. And she didn't. So I, but I would sneak over there hoping to see it, didn't see it. I would watch her for... 30 seconds. And then all of a sudden she'd get her energy back up and she'd start barking again. And then I'd go back to work and I'd ignore it. And so I need, what has to happen is we have to get to the point where she does it right. That's going to be a, a, a battle of who can outlast the other one. And so to this point, I've never brought her in for the right thing. I brought her in because I ran out of time. I had to go, something had to, something. Steph hollered at me, I can't do this phone call with her barking like that. So, okay, I gotta go get her. So, did that help get move me in the right direction? Probably not. Did it make it any worse? I don't know if it's made it any worse. It wasn't wasn't good to begin with. So, I need to get her to the point to go, to crest that hill. I need her to get past the point where she finally quits on her own, willingly, and then I can go and say, good job I haven't gotten there yet so I'm working on it so I I also think that it's important for you to everyone listening to this and Morgan I'm gonna send you an email let you know that we did a podcast on it and the guy that called me earlier today he told me himself I do think it's important for people to realize like that my dogs are not magical and my dogs have the same issues that your dogs have I have to deal with them very I deal with them I have to deal with them and I wreck I'm why we share the stuff we share, why we do the podcast, why we do the stuff that we do from a social media standpoint, why we do all the content stuff, is to try to give you as straight up raw inside look at all of that stuff. I've got videos of Makina barking. Uh, I Early on, the first, ty- first tie out I ever did, I think I, I set a GoPro up. And now that I'm thinking about it, she may have actually stopped barking that time. And I was really thinking, wow, this isn't going to be as bad as I thought. Well, it has been, it's been worse. And so, but as I talk through it with you guys, I realize, Jeremy, you haven't done it very often. You haven't done it very long. Why do you expect it to just magically happen? Well, partly because it happened that way with blue. And so blue, I do think goes back to his breeding. Like he's bred to be quiet. Uh, he's, you know, I, I, I chose that sire intentionally. Ellie's like fourth generation of dogs that we've bred. Like I, I know them pretty good. I've trained a whole bunch of them. That's a real desirable thing. It's a real reason why I wanted to breed them. One of the reasons I wanted to breed breed those dogs. So yeah, and, and you've heard me already say how highly I think of Makina's breeding. So it's not a breeding thing as far as a negative, but it is a trait that I don't think is nearly as important when you look at the big picture of breeding decisions in, in Makina's line. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe her brothers and sisters don't bark. Maybe they're quiet in the kennel. Maybe she'd be quiet in the kennel, especially if I had to put her in a kennel from day one. Maybe she'd be quiet on tie-out if I had to tied her out right away. But I didn't. So is it genetics? I can't say that it is exclusively. Could it be? Yeah, it could be. Is there a way for me to fix it? Yeah, and that's gonna take work. And so I'm gonna to have to decide again why do I do it? I'm not doing it to make it the heel better. Her heel is very good. She's healing off lead. She's really nice. I would like to be able to be in a place because here's the other reason I want the skill in her. Because she this is genetic. She definitely is a seeker. She likes to seek stuff out. And so she's got an I've got I feel like I've got a pretty nice start to her obedience. Um, you know, and I think we're, we're moving along pretty well. Recall is pretty good. Um, heel work is very good. Uh, the general control, the general discipline part is pretty damn good. Not great, but it's pretty good. And, but I have, she covers ground so quickly she moves so much faster than my other dogs. I had, I was on a fishing trip this last weekend. I had Blue and I had Makina with me and I brought him up to the, my buddy's cabin up in the UP or his second house basically in the UP. And we went and fished in this tournament. It was a great time. Totally what I needed. I brought those two dogs, which everybody loved them. I mean, it was just, it was really, it's really fun to travel with dogs that are easy to travel with. It's really fun to travel with dogs that behave really well and people are impressed by because they're just they're very nice dogs to be around that's that's why they're family dogs first for me but any and, and that's where I are where my focus is early on in training so that that was good all that stuff was very good place training was really good as long as I had my my beds with and they were they were great on those in the cabin in the garage kennels they're a little little whiny in the kennel but it was a lot it was a lot there was a lot of distractions there but I would let them out of the kennel take him to air him out, and blue, yeah, you know, I just let him, he hangs right with me, he's not going anywhere, he, he's, he's always close, when he does hang out by himself, or drift off a little bit, he never goes far, he's just, he's real, real easy, and low maintenance, now Makina, you got to keep an eye on, which I did, and you know, I, I had her off lead, and, and it, I mean, it was, we weren't there very long, and they're not on a, they're not on a super, on a highway, but they're on a, a a county road that's relatively busy, busier than I would want it to be to have my dogs running around. So next thing I I looked and here, she is, she's vanished. I mean, she's fast and she's out in front and she's on the road and I'm calling her and there's a car coming and I got her back. She came back to me and I put her on a leash and I just, I looked at them and I go, I'm not taking her off the leash. And I kept her on, I'd co- she'd come out of the kennel, and it's not like I was afraid of her running away or anything, but she'd come out of the kennel and I'd put her on a leash, more so for myself to remind me, don't take your eyes off of her, because real quickly, she can cover a lot more ground. So why do I want a dog that I can conveniently put a stake in the ground with a four to however long foot cable? I don't think they need a real long one, but a four. I, I have these four foot cables, and I want to be able to put that stake in the ground, put her on it, and just let her find a piece of shade and lay down in it and be quiet. That's real nice, as opposed to having to put her on her place or having to put her in her kennel. Now, those are alternatives, but I like the idea of staking out the dog as well. But I would not even think about it if the dog's going to be noisy on it. So that's my reason, and that's why, because of the style of dog she is, I would like to be able to do that with her, probably more than I do with Blue. Or feel like I need to with blue. So again, assess the reason. Understand the the why you need to do things. And that helps you figure out how and where you're gonna take to you know to do it. So Morgan, I hope this helps you. I, I feel like you're in a very similar situation. Now let's talk a little bit. So seven months is super, super young. Um, you're you have a very determined dog. You need to get past it. And so I don't know how often you're doing it. I don't know what the setup looks like. What I would say is break it down and simplify it. Make it as easy for the dog to succeed as possible because that's really what you and I both need to do is we have to figure out how can we get our dogs to succeed. You know what? I might even try. um, I don't know that it's going to work, but I might try it. I'm taking her with me this weekend. We're going to go watch that trial this weekend. We're going to do some fishing and camp and stuff. I might bring the steak out with, And I might tie her out when I'm at the campfire because I've, I, you know, my, my is always well, make it very little distracting or very little distractions. So stake her out in the corner of the yard where there's not, you know, anything around. Well, that drives her nuts. She barks. So I might take it and put her just outside of my reach. So she's not rubbing up against me and I don't have contact with her physically, but she's pretty close. I might stake her out there and have her be a part of the circle but not in my not in my lap but also no freedom that she could wander around and it's not necessarily on her bed she sat around a lot of campfires on her bed so i might this weekend just this is an idea that just popped up i might try okay simplify it just change it from what she's used to doing and incorporate that tie out and cable i might try that this weekend and i and if that goes well then maybe i would Set it up in a different situation where maybe doing a little bit of yard work or doing something in we're cutting asparagus or Lillian and I have this little garden or whatever we're doing, and put her close to that, and make it so that she's if she settles into that, make it so that we just add a little bit of distance to that. Maybe I make it where we're working on, I this is another progressional step. We're at the campfire and we're tied out and she's good and we're good and then I go inside for a little bit. And then I come back. And as long as she settles in and isn't quite, isn't fussing and isn't freaking out, we slowly... So now what we did was we just reversed the situation. Instead of isolating her, we put her right in the middle of the action. And then we isolated ourselves from her. Slowly and but surely. So that's something that I may try. Will it work? I don't know. But I need to... I can't continue. One of the things that I talked with um, the guy on the phone today was, look, man, if it's not working, because he, he wanted to know, what do I do? What do I do? I, I'm, I'm going to keep, you know, should I just keep doing this? So if it's not working, there's something to be said about being consistent and trying to be consistent. But if it's consistently not working, I do think at some point we have to make a change. This is a broad, general thing. This is in all training. If it's not working, tweak it and it, see what happens and if it works better good how come you kind of understand why work continue to work towards something that direction if it makes it even worse go Oops, that's not the fix how about this I, that's where I feel like it's important for people to realize this isn't a black and white thing it's not it's just not like I I thought about this recently I was driving home from dropping off my kids from school and I'm looking at the fields. Like, fields are all, almost all planted around here. Corn, beans. Um, but So here's what's interesting to me. I, I think that dog training is a little bit like being a farmer. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I pretend to be every year. I put food plots in, and I do a garden, and I do stuff like that. It's on a really different scale, obviously. But my wife has tried four or five different ways to try to minimize weeds in her garden. Uh, I drove by farmers that had winter wheat and oats put in, and some of them work it under and plant. Some of them no-till into it and then spray it off. Some of them had some of them no tilled into like corn stubble. Some of them um, I saw some guys that hook their plows up and they plow and then disc. I see some guys that just disc it. I see some plant early. I see some plant late. I see some plant, I don't know, eight inch rows. I see some with 16 inch rows. I see some with 24 inch rows. I see a million different ways. I see some guys take a crop off. Like, I don't know what it was. They took it off and, and like harvested it. And then I saw them put liquid manure into it and then work it back up and reseed it down I don't know if it's an alfalfa or what, but I've seen, I I mean, I'm not a farmer, but I recognize there's very few farmers, and we've got a lot of farmers around here, that do it the same. They all get a crop. Some probably get better crops than others. Some may get better crops more consistently. Some might not, but they're all farmers. They're all raising relatively similar crops they're all kind of doing the same job but they're doing it so differently and then i think about it the depth of it you know as you start peeling layers back of this whole thing you go well yeah they all have different soil they all have different conditions this guy's stuff got really wet and this guy's didn't this guy's drains really well this guy's doesn't this guy has is on a hill this guy's in a bottom now there's a whole bunch more variables we put on top of it well, this guy's got a GSP and this guy's got a uh, lab hound mix that just sent me this. And I've got a Labrador that I think is really well bred that the next guy might look at and go, I wouldn't touch that dog with a 10 foot pole because it's not doesn't not going to do what he wants it to do, how he wants it to do it. I, then I got the set. I mean, there's so many of these variables that I don't think there are general principles to farming that apply. There's common sense stuff. There's some scientific stuff, but there is definitely a lot of different ways to do it. And I just think that training a dog is is can be a, a parallel to that. There are a lot of ways to do it. And within the same farm, if I'm the farmer, I might raise this one a little bit different than that one which is a little bit different than that one and i might have to try something new with the next one because i've never seen the dog do it this way or that way or try this or try that and if i'm so set in my ways that i can't see beyond my little bubble i'm never going to be able to succeed in in the masses that's for sure i mean i some of you guys listening to this won't don't you don't need to be able to train fifty different styles of dogs. But at the same time, if if you're a one, you know, if you're a one dog family and you're gonna have five of them in your lifetime, you don't have as many opportunities to try stuff. Maybe all the more reason you need to have a better understanding and, and recognize the concept or the idea of if it doesn't work, try something different. Now I don't think that. That being said, I, I think that's really important. At the same time, I don't think you change directions every other day. Like you got to have enough confidence in your system or in your approach that you go, you figure that it's this concept works. It's just it's going to take maybe take some time or a little bit of a tweak or a little bit of an adjustment and then more time and then build this and then a little more time and then build that a little more time because seven months old is this guy's dog my dog is eight months old my other dog is five months old the guy that I talked to on the phone today was 12 months old all of those dogs are, are a year or younger and when you think about it that way it's like it puts it into perspective of boy we can be impatient about some things we can really think that things should go a lot faster than they actually are going to. So that's it. I think, I I think we cover, we, I don't want to beat it, beat it to death, but there's a lot in this little talk that I just had about that. I think can apply specifically to the idea of tying a dog out, but I also think it probably applies to some of our, our, of our need for patience and our need for flexibility when it comes to our approach with our dogs and our willingness to take a step back probably and assess it and then make a decision and move re-engage ourselves and then see how that goes so hope it helps you guys um i appreciate your support if you're if you're a new listener welcome um if you are an old listener thank you uh, if you do me a favor, whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on, um, some of you actually will see some of this on video too. If you're, if you're YouTube subscribers, we, we, these later go to video blogs. Um, but if you do me a favor, if you leave us a review, if you're, if you're not a YouTube uh, person, I'd, I'd ask you to check our YouTube out and subscribe and turn notifications on. You'll get, you'll, there's a lot of really good information there. Our website has our training library. I think that's real important and valuable Um, our podcast, if you're listening to it on an app or one of those things that play podcasts, if there's a spot for it to be reviewed, it'd be great if you'd leave us a review and a rating. Uh, the idea behind that for us is the, the, it allows us to get a little bit of feedback and understanding of what we're doing well and what we're not doing so well, if they're negative. Um, but the other thing is, is it allows for other people, I think, to find us easier based on how you um how our listeners are are rating us in, in and keywords and all that stuff so if you if you enjoy what you're doing and you leave us a rating and you leave us a um some feedback it'll help it'll probably help someone else find it and to uh, to me i think i ask myself a lot what are your goal? you know what is your objective with training? What, what, what are you trying to get out of t- tying out? That was one of the things I had to ask that guy. You know, what are we trying to, d- to get out of this, this podcast? And I think the answer is it kind of ties back to why we do all the content stuff that we're doing. It, it ultimately is to help you, hopefully help you in joy and get a little bit more out of your training i our tools are great some people don't even realize that we have a a a store an online store we sell stuff and retail stores sell our stuff like we've got a lot of products too so if if you are interested in the product part yeah check that out like I, i think it's i think everything we sell makes my life easier it's something we've designed it's something we make um you know and we're proud of it we do it here in the states um intentionally it just it's a choice we've made as a small business but so that's that's it is that's a, that's that's how we pay our bills but the all the content stuff is simply to help you figure out how to use the stuff because the tools won't the tools are really good I, I I'm really proud of them but they won't work if you don't know how to use them and so if you don't use them properly so why do we do all the content we're doing why do we share all the stuff we share for free it's because it will help you find success. That that I, I truly believe that. So, um, the more people that we can offer that to, well, the more satisfaction we're going to get. So, I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Um, I'll continue to record these, and and the guys are are always hustling to to get them turned around. So, thank you. Father's Day coming up this weekend. I don't know if this will play before Father's Day. I think it will. But uh, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, We'll talk with you guys soon.